welcome to this bonus episode of the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm Jen Sproul, CEO of the Institute of Internal Communication. At the recent IYC Awards Night, I got to chat with many members who shared with me their primary challenges they're facing as we approach the end of 2022. It very quickly became clear that the cost of living crisis is having a huge impact on employees and as a professional community, how we advise our employers on how to effectively communicate in these challenging times. Today's episode dives into this topic in more detail in the hope that it provides food for thought and value for the wider internal communication community. As always, thank you for listening. Hi, Jen. Thanks for welcoming me today. So to kick us off and get started, let's just start with, so what, in your opinion, do you think are sort of the biggest challenges for internal communicators during the cost of living crisis? We know internal comms and how we talk is so important. So how do you see our role in this? And what do you think are the things that we need to be really mindful of as we talk about this challenging topic? So thanks for that great question, Jen. It's For me, it's a bit like COVID, but not at all like COVID. So for internal communications, obviously, we've got to take into consideration that everyone's got different circumstances. Not everyone's a politician, not everyone's a truck driver, not everyone's an accountant. So I think for me, we've got to acknowledge this. We've got to acknowledge it, but not lose our authenticity, honesty and our realism while we're communicating things. And then one of the hardest things that we've got is that a lot of our communication channels sometimes are written and trying to come across empathetic during those written communications is a massive challenge for all internal communications. However, always we've got to have our audience in front of the mind. We've got to critique those messages so that they're relevant to the different audiences that we're communicating with. And for DHL supply chain in the UK and Ireland, for example, and I'm sure a lot of other businesses, we've got such a diverse range of colleagues that our language has got to be considered as well. So the language we use, make it simple, keep it simple, but keep it real at the same time. And also, I think for what we've seen over the last certainly 12 months is that when a colleague, when an employee has an opinion and they share that and they might share that on a platform that lots of other people read is not just ignoring that opinion. And if it's doom and gloom or if it's positive, we've got to acknowledge it. We've got to directly address it if a colleague's got an issue, because if we don't act quickly, then our communication channels aren't the right channels to be used. And I think for me as well, looking back at when we went through the COVID pandemic, as internal communications, sometimes we don't do anything different. But what we do know is the best way to communicate something. So really listening to our audiences, gathering all those thoughts together, using all our channels is massive because we've got direct communication links with all our colleagues in the UK and Ireland. But sometimes we rely on cascading as well. And as we know, that has its own challenges as well. So I think for me, using all our channels and bringing all the benefits that we've got as a business, especially during the cost of living crisis, to the forefront of everyone's mind should really, really help in those internal communication challenges that we've got at the moment. Thank you. You bring out, Amory, some really, really interesting and key points. That thing I was cottoned on to was so much you said there, but that importance around language and actually how we're so reliant on the written form. Do you think it's really important then when we're thinking about our communications and how we're tackling this? You talked about using all of our channels, but that mixed mode of delivery so that there is it's not all written so it it can add because tone can be so important so is it something where we need to really encourage our people to talk verbally or in that kind of embodied way more openly 
Absolutely, Jen. You can't beat, you know, face-to-face communication, can you, at the end of the day? But as managers and as senior leaders in the business, you've got to also be able to have that face-to-face. And it can be challenging. We know that. But that's the way you can get empathy across. That's the way you can take someone into a room where they might want to open up with some of the struggles that they're having rather than putting that on something. So, you know, different medias is absolutely critical. And we have things like town halls. We have things like one-to-ones. And I think they're becoming more relevant and more frequent. And I think that's our best advice is to never think that you're over-communicating because for everybody, we're all different. You know, I I like a one-to-one every few months some people like them every month it's you know you've got to really know your people and that's what good internal communications and good leaders do that don't they they know their people so they know what's best and it's not about treating everyone the same for me because not everyone is the same so why should we treat them all in the same way so I think it's really getting to know the colleagues and really being relevant at the time of that communication as well you know if we're all talking positively about something then it might have a different impact on the different audiences that you're talking to. So I think that's really, really making it relevant at that time. I think that's really interesting to hear you speak. Presumably, you know, you've got a really diverse workforce at DHL, Anne-Marie, just in terms of, you know, the range of jobs that people do. And clearly, we can get quite set in our ways. I know sometimes I'm guilty of this. I can get quite set in my ways and think about, you know, people, particularly when we're talking about topics like hybrid work, we tend to think about people that work in offices. Whereas, of course, a lot of your people are, you know, in warehouses and delivering and so on and so forth throughout the wider organisation. And one of the things that I'm struck by with this cost of living crisis is that we, when we're doing our work, it's all too easy, isn't it, to kind of set a rigid view of who our audience is. And actually, I'm really struck by what you said about two-way communication. The opportunity here now is to build the trust between the employer and the employee, because just as in the same way as when the pandemic broke out, you know, many, many people, as we're seeing now with the labour market data, many, many people who've been living successfully with clinical vulnerabilities had never had to share details of what were private issues with their employers. And to some extent, I think financial security is like that. These are issues, aren't they, that we've never had to share with colleagues. And perhaps we've never really shared with family because they're such private issues. And yet, your hopes and fears around financial stability absolutely underpin your ability to do a good day's work. So actually, as employers now, for all of us, regardless of what service sector we're in or what have you, we've all got a duty of care to kind of build that trust and put ourselves in the shoes of the people around us And I wonder then to what extent you feel talking openly about the cost of living crisis. Should that be prioritised ahead of business as usual activities whilst this is all going on? Or how do you strike the fine balance between BAU and addressing real pressing contextual issues such as this one? 
Yeah, it's a really good question, that cat. To, to be quite honest, the BAU for us hasn't changed massively because I think it's really important, and we talked about this to our exec board as well, about actually being aware and actually talking about the cost of living crisis is one thing, but stopping everything else would have a different impact if we just stopped communicating about everything else. So what we're doing is probably being extra vigilant and really, really taking our time to communicate the BAU stuff. Because if it clashes with something else, and as you know, in internal comms, we have the honour of knowing a lot of things that are going on across a big business. So we actually know if that hits that at the wrong time, the impact could be absolutely catastrophic. So as an internal comms team, we're actually just taking that little bit extra vigilance of, right, we're about to communicate this, but at the same time, we're going to communicate about a new well-being benefit. Right, that's going to clash. So we'll pause on that and we'll wait a couple of days on that. And COVID was another example of this. You talked about trust then. We believe we've built a lot of trust up with our colleagues because even during the COVID pandemic, if we didn't know what was happening, we told them we didn't know. We don't know what's happening. You know, our government haven't said this yet. We don't know what's happening. And we did a holding statement and we were very honest through that. So I think that trust has been built over the last few years. And I think with the cost of living, although we're not talking about it every day, what we do do is we talk about well-being probably more than ever before. So we used to do a monthly um, release of this. But what we have made is that by the touch of one button, all our employees, which is about 40,000 in the UK and Ireland, have access to all their well-being benefits. And that can be as simple as our employee assistance programme, which is probably most businesses have, is 24-7. So that's available 24-7 to them and their families. It's also taken into consideration from an internal comms point of view, we should still celebrate if we win a lot of a new business or if we're building a new site as an employee, that gives them some reassurance that it's a great place to work. And for me, it's important to keep those key topics at the forefront, but at the same time, have that consideration about the cost of living crisis and don't ignore it because, I mean, not that we could have ever ignored the pandemic but don't ignore it because it is a topic and every day it's what nearly every other TV programme is talking about it now. But it's slightly different than the COVID for me. And I think you touched upon it there. You know, your financial status, your financial thing, it's probably not something you talk about to your friends and family, never mind going into work and having your manager say, you know, if anyone's struggling, we've got this benefit, come and talk to me. You know, we can do a variety of things to help you. So I think it's really being extra sensitive on this one you know COVID was one thing but I think the cost of living is very very personal and very different for anybody and you know wherever you work in the business whatever role you play it's very different so I think having managers be open and honest in their conversations trying to do more face-to-face trying to do more of those check-ins as they're walking through a warehouse or walking through an office building they're those little things that for me that can really, really help employee engagement and and still make it a great place to work, even with this little cloud that we've all got. All of us, all of us have got this cloud hanging out over our heads, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. I was really struck by what you said there about balancing like well-being initiatives with the cost of living crisis, because, you know, financial well-being how you feel about the state of your household finances. But, you know, financial insecurity is such a massive cause of stress and anxiety. But the other thing that I was thinking about as you were talking was things that we haven't considered in in the mainstream, as in the collapse of NHS dentistry 
which is widespread, not massively spoken about in the media, but anybody that has been reliant on an NHS dentist to get routine checkup now doesn't have that possibility, which means that if you need to seek an intervention for your teeth, you have to pay out privately, which is even more of a burden on these ever escalating household costs. So just being perceived as an employer that takes employee well-being seriously through a range of services and benefits, that's massive because at the end of it all, if I'm financially anxious, knowing that I work for an organisation who does have my wider interests at heart just takes a tiny bit of that burden away, I think. So kudos to DHL for doing what it's doing. Yeah, and in this climate, you know, if everybody could have a £50,000 pay rise, I'm sure every employer would love to do that. But we've got the whole bigger piece. I think a lot of our colleagues understand that even more so in the last few years. And I know, Jen, I've talked about this to you directly, you know, having access to an app, We've got 65, 70% of our colleagues. I can instantly send them a message on our internal employee engagement app. And through this as well, they have the direct link to those wellbeing benefits. So they've got it physically in their hand most of the times. Whether that be a discount in a supermarket that they're entitled to, whether that be a cycle to work scheme, it was such a variety. But even now, I can guarantee that not all 40,000 employees know about every benefit because we have got so many but it's what we can do from an internal comms point of view that brings some of that great stuff that's relevant now because, you know, really maybe 10% discount on a two-week holiday isn't as relevant as a 5% discount in Asda uh, there and now that it's in their hands. So I think we've got to be careful that, okay, we've got all these benefits, but actually what is really relevant during the cost of living, what could really, really help? the majority of our workforce and I think that's what we're doing at the moment we're looking at all those benefits and there is a lot and I'm happy that I can say there is a lot but actually are all of them relevant at this moment in time probably not so let's pull out the ones that are relevant and really really communicate that to as many of our teams and their families as we can. Amrea you said some interesting things about leaders and line managers so it'd be good to spend a bit of time talking about them and how we help them because I think one of the things we've picked up with more senior leaders, to be candid, is some of them are very lacking in confidence when it comes to talking about the cost of living crisis, because, put it bluntly, they're aware that their circumstances are going to be different from the people they're talking with. And so one of the questions we get is, how do we strike a balance between being caring, because we do care, but also not coming across being patronising or inauthentic, to use your word. I guess on the other side of the coin, we know that lots of people listening to this are communicators who want to enhance their reputation as trusted advisors. So if we bring the two together, what can we do as communicators to best advise senior leaders and HR to get that tone right? Because as you said, that's all important. How have you been doing that? Lots of conversations, funny enough, So, which is always good when you're in internal communications, isn't it? So I think for me, and I think all the senior leadership people that I speak to, they understand we've got a moral duty and a moral duty to support, to advise our teams, even managers at high levels. We've got that moral duty and part of an internal comms duty by providing that information in a logical way and in a sensible way. So that's not 100 pages talking about the cost of living. That can be some bullet points that helps our managers speak to our our teams for example we're all human so keeping it honest and real so a lot of the communications I have is that 
yes, they will know that you're an exec member and you're paid a lot more money than a warehouse driver or a warehouse operative. They know that, but you just don't need to talk about that. What you do need to know is acknowledge that I'm in, you know, a different set of circumstances. However, I've also got, and there might be something you're struggling with, or there might be something from your past that you can bring to the forefront. So I think it's just having those conversations and helping them prepare some of the times because the worst thing that they can do is talk too openly and then they've not thought about the consequences of what they've spoken about. So this isn't me writing scripts because we don't do that. We'd rather have authentic leadership in our business. But this is about preparing and thinking about some of the questions that they might get asked and not giving them everything, but giving them some pointers and helping them with pointers that will be conveyed in the right way. And I think there's also that if they're going to be on camera or they're going to be face to face, I think you've got your body language that you can use a lot more in these circumstances. So, you know, people can genuinely see when somebody is maybe emotionally upset about something or they're being empathetic rather than let's just send out a little blanket email from our managing director because that's a nice and easy way to communicate to a lot of colleagues. And I think going back to what Jen said earlier on in this podcast is that I think for the forefront, much face-to-face as you can do is what we're promoting at the moment. Um, It's all right doing a little quick call to your team to check in on them, but, you know, team meetings, one-to-ones, they do a lot of site visits anyway. So doing that and talking to as many people. So I think supporting our stakeholders is the right thing for us to do at the moment as internal communicators. But at the same time, it's about not rushing to communicate. It's about having that thought process and that consideration why are you going in there? What are you saying? What might the questions come back to you as? How open can you be? How open are you preparing to be? And I think, as you talked about in the beginning there, Dom, some are more nervous than anything about this particular topic. And it's probably because it's so personal and we're all so different and we're all, you know, nobody wants to say they're struggling more so than somebody else or they're not struggling. But actually, it's showing that empathy. And for me, you can't beat body language and and having that face-to-face, open and honest conversation with people to get that tone right. I think there are lots of great things. I think three things struck me as you were talking. One is preparation, because I think leaders find that really tough. But just anticipating, what are people going to say? I think that's a really powerful way of helping them get more relaxed and confident. I also love the idea of vulnerability, because all of us have got something which we can use to tap into how people are feeling, just share a bit of ourselves. And it's something we found, I think, over COVID, that those leaders who just shared a bit about some of the difficulties they were facing or things they were being uncomfortable with made better connections more quickly. And the third bit, I think, is your distinction between empathy and sympathy, because I think people react badly often if you show sympathy, I think, in these situations. But if you can demonstrate empathy, understanding someone's situation and responding accordingly, I think that can be much more powerful. Now, we talked about senior leaders there. And they've got their own unique set of circumstances. Let's now look at immediate line managers. So I guess supervisors, people who are managing a team of, what, I don't know, 15, 20 plus people. Often, whenever it comes to communication, they can be lacking in confidence. And as we've said a number of times, this is a particularly sensitive issue. So what support and guidance and help can you give line managers to help them have these conversations? Well, from our team, especially, we do, um, and this all started pre-pandemic, actually, we actually create a lot of toolkits. So this is like bite-sized bits of information. So again, this is not about giving them a 200-page document to suddenly sit there and read through and go, oh, crikey, how do I dissect this? But small and easy and simple to use, and more importantly for me, really accessible toolkits. 
we have open discussions, so we promote um, having it, giving our employees a voice. So with that, we can do that through some terminals. We can do that through our internal employee app. We can also use our internal employee app and our general manager social wall to share best practice. So, for example, if someone said, well, I've done this recently at town hall, we'll grab hold of it and we'll publish that out to our other 400 general managers. We'll also have, and I think, again, Jen mentioned this to you recently, we have a direct email to our CEO and board so that if anybody does have a question and then for whatever reason they can't find the answer out or they want to delve a little bit deeper with our exec members, they press a button on the app and that sends him a direct email. And also for us, we can track the speediness of responses. So for me, if someone has got something to say or needs to find something out, I don't want them sitting there waiting for three days, waiting for a response. So we take that very seriously as getting that swift response, whether that be a not so good response or a really nice response. It depends on what it is. But, you know, every subject matter is important to someone. Otherwise, they wouldn't have raised it as a query or as a concern. So we actually track as much as we can do through obviously lots of data, how quickly we're responding to people and make sure that's as quick as anything. And then what we look at is for any trends. So we look at managers saying, well, I'm getting a lot of questions on financial well-being or EAP. And we go, oh, right, okay, there must have been a change, you know, people come and go. So we look at any trends that are happening and say, right, actually, you know, nobody is saying they know about EAP in this area. Let's do a big publication on EAP, for example. Let's do a forum. Let's do an open webinar. So we look at the trends very carefully as well. And I think for line managers, a lot of our line managers have actually come from the operational front line, you know, the way up from a colleague all the way to a supervisor. So they've been where their teams are. And that really does help us when we're communicating as well, because they'll often come to us because they've known us throughout their career. So using our internal employee app um, gives us that direct link to our managers and having regular town halls with our CEO and our exec board as well. And I think just don't stop talking. I think I wrote here, don't stop talking about it. Just keep it to the forefront of everyone's mind. And we as an internal communications team have our own direct email so that we're openly accessible as well. So to discuss those challenges and to see what's happening out there, that's really, really important for me, for anybody to ask us anything from where do I get a mug from to where do I get the most latest wellbeing pack, for example. I'm just out of interest because I guess lots of people will be facing this cost of living issue as communicates in different ways. You mentioned some of the challenges there, Amy. What have been the top two or three challenges that line managers have experienced or shared with you or raised or you've noticed? Oh, my gosh. And um, top three. That's quite hard, actually. I think the most challenging is they want to be able to do more, but they can't. You know, they've got the information, they're giving them the information, they're listening to their teams. But fundamentally, we just can't put that extra lots of money in their bank accounts. I mean, we can do through various benefits, but fundamentally, I think they just want to be able to do more. Because we're all human, aren't we? Nobody likes to see another human in need or another human being upset. And I think they just want, always want to do more. I think it's a bit like the pandemic. We always wanted to just find, you know, when was it going to be the next lockdown, et cetera, et cetera. We wanted to be able to read Boris's mind, didn't we? And we weren't able to. So I think for me, one thing is they want to always do more. They want to do the right thing. But at the same time, they know they've got a site to run, a business to run, a team to run. Yeah, I think I'll probably just name one on that one. They always want to do more. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, that's enough. And how do we as communicators help them 
deal with that gnawing sensation that they should be doing more. See, that's a big issue. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm really that just been so packed with so many things and so much practical stuff that you've shared. And you touched upon it earlier about this kind of how we're providing resources, support, well-being, all those things. And obviously making sure that we put out the most relevant thing that's pertinent to what's happening at the moment and pertinent and pertinent, I guess, to the issues that we're spotting. I love the fact that you're tuned in and you listen to the trends and see what the conversations are and respond that way. But I guess from the things that you talked earlier about, you've got, obviously you've got EAP and you have financial well-being and some of the vouchers and things like that. In this type of time, the things that you're seeing, what kind of additional support should employers be providing? What are you finding is actually being the most valued or the most used? Because you say you have quite a lot of additional resources and support mechanisms that you offer uh, your colleagues at DHL. Yeah, so what we did probably about... In the midst of COVID, we realised we have lots and lots of benefits. But what we actually did is decided to break it into four areas for our teams to be able to find things a lot easier and quicker, Jen. So we've got our social, our financial, our emotional and physical well-being tools. So we've split it into those four areas. And I think some of the things that we're seeing that brings that are most popular, because obviously everything's tracked as much as it is, as well as being private and confidential, We've got employee discounts, so they're absolutely beneficial because that's anything from your supermarket to your holidays and things like that. We've got mindfulness. So we've got lots of webinars and WebExes available for our teams to use, and that can be for family members as well as themselves. And they're also some of those tools are accessible to our agency, as you probably know, in logistics and warehousing, we have a lot of agencies. So not every benefit is transferable, but a lot of those mindfulness and emotional and physical well-beings are also applicable for our agency staff as well. And then, as you said, we've got the normal EAP and well-being tools. We have financial advice for them. They can write a free basic will, for example. And it sounds really depressing, but actually some of these things are things that people worry about. And if they're worried about those, they're not probably being the best they can be while they're in work. And therefore, it has a massive impact on employee engagement for me. So from an internal comms point of view, bringing some of those channels to life and making sure that we're communicating them at the right time is actually relevant. So we probably won't be talking about cycle to work during the winter months, but we would be talking about improvements for the house or, you know, just different things that we can help people with. Wellbeing and financial is what we see being most popularly used during the winter months. So we'll probably be doing a lot more promotion about some of those things, sending out the links one of our only printed masses that goes to our 10,000 drivers, we're actually putting a small wellbeing leaflet in that as well because we know that goes to every driver's home. So we're, again, we're bringing some of the wellbeing benefits to life by putting a small flyer into their printed publication. And then what we have done over the last six to 12 months is we offered out wellbeing champions. So we found out a lot of people actually do like listening to people and like to have some training in order to call them wellbeing champions. So we're happy to say we've got now over 200 across the UK and Ireland. And this isn't that the professional doctors or anything like that, but this is a go-to person on site. So as well as their line manager or line supervisor, they can actually go to someone independent and just have a little bit of an open conversation with them. And these people are experts in pointing them to the right direction. So not only listening, but pointing them to the right materials. And they do do a couple of days training to do this, but this is about making sure that they are there, are there for people to listen to, as well as doing all the other great stuff that we've got on offer. 
But these are our wellbeing champions, and I think we're going to see more and more of them over the next couple of years, no doubt. And that's not only because of the cost of living, but that's because there's always a crisis going on, isn't there? There's always a crisis, and it's always nice to know you've got someone to talk to on site that is someone other than your line manager in a lot of cases. So I think that's probably all. That's amazing. That's quite a lot. <laughs> it is a lot, Amory. That is a lot out there. There's a lot of things. And Actually, I'm just picking up on that last thing that you said that's really interesting around these well-being champions and what you said earlier when Dom asked, what's the one thing, the challenge that Lyman has, they want to do more, that they can't do more. And actually, I guess because we are all humans and we all want to help each other and actually, is there a way it makes me think about what more we can do to help empower others to have difficult, challenging or be supportive or be there. As you say, if we could all spread the wealth and we have that power, we would, but we don't. And I wonder if we'll see some of that drive or organisations can encourage their people to kind of go here. It helps feel that burning sensation of I wish I could do more. And there are ways that we can do the work that and the ways that you can can champion on that. You've shared an awful lot, Marie, and we're really grateful. There's so much practicality in what you've just talked about. You know, I've had quite a few conversations with various internal communicators around the cost of living and how we talk about it. And there are definitely some nuanced challenges depending on your organization and its context. You know, I've spoken to some in the public sector where they have very different constraints to other sectors. And I've spoken to others where it's been a lot of issues around, you know, how do we enable dialogue and job design and, and actually line managers being so important and how we're supporting them. And you've given so many good examples. But actually, a fundamental thing that you said through all of this that I think that Kat and Don will, I'm sure, nod their heads as we say this, well, we can't ignore the importance of conversation and the importance of connection and the importance of letting that just happen. And sometimes, you know, as a friend as well, you don't actually want someone to give you the answers. You just want someone to hear you. You just want someone to hear you. And there, there's so much that can be said from that. But the things as I sort of wrap up what we've talked about that I've just scribbled down as you've shared that was around audience, know our people, tailor it, consider their context, language, think about your language, think about how we can help the majority, dial in, listen, what are the challenges, dial up those things that help the majority pull out the relevant resources, the relevant communications, have lots of conversations, be logical, be sensible, but also as well support our leaders to get out there to have those conversations and help them answer those questions. Don't negate the importance of face-to-face. Our line managers, give them toolkits, make them accessible, be open discussions. And actually, I love the direct emails. And there's always a place where someone can click a button, two seconds, and ask someone, a question. And every, as you said at the very beginning, every opinion matters. Every emotion happens, matters because we feel it for a reason. So we can't ignore any of it. I think that was hopefully a good sum up of all the things that you said to us. That was a really good summary. <laughs> yeah, it was a brilliant summary. Can I just add a comment to it, just as you're saying it? Because you struck, something struck me. We've mentioned, I think, three things in this session we haven't talked about for a while. One is, I'm really about channels, because you've got a channel for every job. Yeah, And I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that having a, a beautiful suite of channels, a suite of channels that does a wide variety of jobs is really important. And you've also called, talked about what we used to call air traffic control, which we don't talk about much anymore, which is managing messages according to time and making sure things don't clash, which perhaps you could argue are traditional communication skills we sometimes forget. Yeah. And the value of them is so strong, I think. 
And the other thing was the point about vulnerability. I think that was fantastic about vulnerability for managers being able to share something. Sorry, Jen, I cut across you then. Sorry. <laughs> because they are. You're right, though, Dom. You, we talked at the very beginning of this podcast, Amory kindly shared all the things that you've got in terms of that channel and your app and how it can reach people and it's in their pockets. And let's not forget segmentation, audience, knowing where they are, what channels, how do we reach them, making it timely, being considered, listening in. The power is in our hands. And I'll never forget, I think, it, Dom, you said it, but Amory, it came from you. Let's be careful of managing empathy versus sympathy. And I think that's a, a real piece of tone to think about in a cost of living crisis. Kat, I feel like you've got one last point. Just, you've said so much, Amber, but we want to round it all up. <laughs> it's an observation more than anything else. I think, Amory, you mentioned at some point body language. You know, we're all distanced from one another now, whether that is, you know, with hybrid work or, you know, the time pressures on us, we're always rushing. But actually, you know, taking the time to have a conversation in person, in real life, and relearning how to read one another's body language cannot be underestimated. And if we don't kind of draw that to the surface and put it under the spotlight, we are going to lose our capacity. I was talking to somebody, this is just a tiny anecdote, but to emphasise this point, I was talking to somebody the other day and he was talking about how after all the lockdowns, there'd been an uptick in both car accidents and aggressive driving. And he made the point that from a neuroscientific point of view, of course, that makes perfect sense because the part of our brain that governs our spatial awareness shrunk because literally we weren't driving for months and months and months. Well, if I overlay that analogy to communication with my future of work hat on, we are not going to go back to more simplistic times anytime soon. And the only thing that is going to get all of us as a big collective through all of this turmoil is our capacity to connect to one another. And the only way we're going to do that is by having these conversations so even if you're feeling out of practice and awkward and uncomfortable, which is its own form of vulnerability, actually, in having conversations, to work for an organisation where having conversations is proactively encouraged is a brilliant, brilliant thing. And I would absolutely, you know, applaud any organisation that's putting that at the forefront of their internal comms strategy at the moment. I think, Amory, you've bowled us all over with lots of practical stuff in that. So thank you so much for giving your time to us today. And I hope those listening in realise internal communications, the power you have to help our organisations and help our people. And also as well, help yourself and you find that person that you might need a conversation with. As Amory said, we're all affected. So I'm sure the amazing advice about Amory goes some way to help you all navigate those challenges that you're facing. So thank you again. And um, hopefully we'll tune in for the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this special episode, which concludes our 2022 series. We'll be back in January with a new series, fantastic guests and more conversations that spotlight the emergent opportunity for internal communication professionals. As ever, we hope you've enjoyed our podcast. If you have, please do like it or share it on your preferred digital channels. Until next time.